did this ourselves. They're coming. It can't be. Where is everyone? Hey Survivors, Makeshift here, and I'm coming at you solo this week. There's a couple new projects out in the world that I uh, have the ability to watch over the last few weeks that I want to talk about today. One of them is The Colony, originally titled The Tides, or just Tides. Um, this is actually a European post-apocalypse film that Netflix picked up. That brings about the rename. I don't actually, I don't know why they renamed it. I'll get into that a little bit later, but they do that sometimes with these foreign films. And the other one is Station Eleven, HBO's 10-episode epic following a whole cast of characters over a post-apocalypse scenario. It starts actually before the apocalypse happens, and then a pandemic wipes out 99% of the population. And we follow several characters over the course of about 20 years. It's interesting because the showrunners pitched this as a post-apocalypse story about joy and yet it made me cry more than most films that are supposed to make you cry but you know what they were very happy tears anyway i'm going to talk about that one second first i want to talk about this movie called the colony and we're going to get into that right after this very quick break as i tell you about something in my store there's a lone survivor out there in the wasteland with nothing but a gas mask and a dream of just staying alive. His name is Apocabob, and he's the de facto mascot of the Apocalypse Post. He made his first appearance in a set of postcards where he traveled to some of the best abandoned places in the wastes. Now you can take him with you as a pin, a full color sticker, or a car decal on all your adventures. And be sure to send pictures of his travels as I absolutely love seeing all the decrepit places he ends up. All money made from this little guy goes to help create more of the show you love the most. That's this one. Get your Apocabob swag now at theapocalypsepost.square.site. Okay, guys, so let's talk about The Colony. This is a brand new film. I actually don't know if it's brand new, but it's new to Netflix, which is all that matters. And it is, it is really unique. Even though the storyline is a lot of tropes that we've seen before you know there's not a whole lot of originality there and yet there's something really fresh about it now the story itself it, it's fighting some plot holes i'll admit that it doesn't it does you don't feel satisfied by the end but it's still worth a watch so the colony which was originally called tides uh which actually is a much better title one it explains the world a little bit better. What the survivors that are on this decimated planet Earth are suffering. It is kind of the major cataclysm of the story as it is as Earth is today when we're when we're telling the story. Now something else happened to Earth. The conditions have become too bad for continued habitation. So the ruling elite have left. They took a spaceship ride out to populate one of the Kepler planets, which is, of course, far away. It takes a long time to get there and a long time to get back. But on that new planet, reproduction has become impossible. And I don't know how long it took for reproduction to become impossible. It seems like it took place over time. I think it probably had something to do with radiation poisoning. And so... The planet is not going to be a long-term solution. They've figured that out. And that's something that we find out throughout the story. But um, what happens here is they had left some, some sensors back on Earth 
kind of around the planet that are sending that are constantly sending data back up to Kepler. And one of them has shown that there's some survivability in this one spot, not on a continent because the continents are entirely too destroyed, but this is actually in the ocean, I believe south of South America, where there is these mudflats. And so it's, it sends this signal up to Kepler and they send a mission back to Earth to see what kind of condition it's in. And um, that mission goes well for a while, but they lose communication. And so they actually send a second mission to follow up, which in this case is all you can do because uh, they don't have their ring camera set up on Earth. They don't know what's going on other than what that sensor is sending, which seems to be not a whole lot of information, not even a camera. A camera would have been very helpful. <laughs> but in this case, it's just sending back data. So a couple decades later, the second mission is picking up where the first left off. That's actually where the movie picks up is on the, uh, what's it called? Where they're actually coming back into Earth's atmosphere and something's gone wrong. So they kind of crash land. It doesn't go well. And that's where we pick things up. So only one of the three astronauts on this mission ultimately survive, so it's her job to do the best she can. They have this mantra for the many, um, which is something we've seen quite often. I mean, that goes all the way back to like, you know, Star Trek, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Thank you, Spock. So theoretically, you know, there's this Star Trekian society out there on Kepler that They've got, um, they still have a high level of society. Obviously, they've got the technology. Kepler must be providing them with plenty of resources so that they can create these spaceships and survive, even though they're not able to reproduce. That's the one thing they can't do. And it does appear like technology has improved. They also have, like, again, Star Trekian technology as far as, like, uh, health and meters, and they can. They've got something that helps them uh, repair wounds really quick, that kind of thing. And so when they get back to Earth, there's these kind of primitive societies that are living in these mudflats where the tide is coming in and out every day. And so their entire world floods and drains every day. And that's the world they survive in. They live by eating uh, the fish and, and shellfish and mussels and clams, that kind of thing. That is what they're sustaining themselves with, which completely works. I don't know where they're getting fresh water, but I guess if you have salt water, you just need to figure out how to filter it a la, a la water world. Just send that good old salt water through the filters and take a drink. Although that always bothered me about water world. He says the salt is too hard on the filters, but his urine must have been pretty salty too. I'm pretty sure urine and ocean water are are kind of close to saltiness. Um, maybe they did a taste test <laughs> and figured it out that way. But yeah, that always bothered me. That I mean, he could use ocean water. And yeah, maybe the filters aren't working so great. But uh, it looked more like his system would have worked better as like an evaporative still. You know, put, put some of that salt water in one of the glass jugs and, and let it evaporate and then condense down on the other side and then you just throw away the salt mix on the other side i mean he had everything he needed but instead he pumped it through and they called it filters i didn't see any filters in that setup anyway that's what i think they should do if you if you're stuck and you've got 
some nice glass jugs. Just make yourself a, a kind of a still and you can have fresh water. Anyway, uh, they don't really explain the whole fresh water thing in this one. I don't think they needed to. There's just water. They've got some. However, oh, going back to the colony, they, the astronaut who happens to survive also happens to be the daughter of one of the astronauts from the first mission. So there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot going on. Uh, I don't want to spoil this. I think it's definitely worth a watch. There, you know, it's not like there's a ton of uh, amazing twists or anything like that. However, um, I think it's worth the time. So you guys can, you know, go enjoy it. But I will say that this is kind of unique in the way it looks. It's super grayed out. You know, there's not a lot of sun getting through the sky because there's plenty of clouds and fog and smog and smoke. There, it, it's it's a very grayed out world. Uh, of course, they're on the ocean, so it's just more and more gray, a little bit of blue, and then they're they're living in decrepit ships, a la Waterworld. So imagine like if Waterworld, if the oceans receded, what those boats would look like now stuck in the mud uh, and what people would do to survive in the mud. So it's actually pretty fascinating. The movie is not without its plot holes. There's a few themes that are introduced that I don't think are fully fleshed out. Um, our lead character is very akin to like a, a Ripley from the Alien series. Uh, and I think it, it's really fun. And um, of course, there's some really nice relationships. I just don't think that the world was fleshed out as much as it could have been because the movie is shot in an incredibly claustrophobic style. Everything is is really close to our main character and to the camera and to our point of view because of that fog, because of uh, these these small locations. You know, they the world they're building is expansive. I don't know if it was a style choice or if it was just budgetary limitations or um, I don't know what it was, to be honest. It, everything just felt really small. And so you didn't really get to see the big world. And then you find out what was going on with this first mission as they're trying to not terraform um, a, a location for the ship to come back, but but to create a area where a spaceship could return. And it just, that's the part that's not fully fleshed out. I didn't quite get what was happening. However, overall, still happy I watched it. It was really enjoyable. And for being a foreign movie, it's actually shot in English. So unlike a lot of the foreign movies, um, even from Europe, that are coming out on Netflix, this time you don't have to deal with a dub or subtitles. So all that makes it pretty enjoyable. And I think there's a lot of inspiration that can be taken from the costuming and even you know a lot of the set art. There's some really cool things happening. And if you want dirt, I mean, we're talking about a world that lives in the mud. So no need for more dirt in this case. They had plenty of dirt. So yeah, go ahead, watch The Colony aka the tides or just tides <laughs> i keep saying the tides it's just tides uh and that means a lot more than the colony plus we already have a the colony out there uh and it was also post-apocalyptic so i don't know what netflix was thinking with this title change i think they should have left it alone it probably has to do with you know some kind of legality uh that they have on their end but i don't i can't think of another project out there that is called tides but I can definitely think of another post-apocalypse movie called The Colony. So, I don't know, Netflix, you could have done better on this one. But kind of like um, like Bank Heist, they retitled from Casa de Papel, which is, you know, Paper House, uh, which is kind of like Glass House in, in American. And, and don't forget that Netflix's first original series was called House of Cards, 
which is basically what the translation means for this Casa de Papel, a house of paper. Um, I, I imagine the imagery means the exact same thing. It's something you build that is barely standing and can easily fall apart, which, um, you know, Bankheist was probably probably put it more in the, yeah, that's what the show is. It's a freaking bank heist. But yeah, that might've been a little too on the nose. I think they could have been a little bit more creative with the whole title thing there. Anyway, it's interesting that Netflix does that where they retitle things because obviously they're not worried about two things having the same title. But in this case, they decided to title anyway. Anyway, enough of that. Netflix can do what they want as long as they keep making great shows. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Let's talk about Station Eleven. So, uh, I mentioned in last week's episode that I absolutely love this show. I think it is a really, really fresh take on a post-apocalypse series. And I think that tagging it, a post-apocalypse show about joy, is so interesting. Because it was joyful. The novel and the show both focus on a group of uh, actors called the Traveling Symphony that go around a, the Great Lakes region of the Midwest and perform Shakespeare plays. They have uh, an entire band that create music, and of course they've got their troupe of actors that uh, kind of rotate through different, different Shakespeare plays and just try to bring a little bit of culture and joy back in this world where 99% of the people had been killed by an, a pandemic. It is about joy, but it is, it is so sappy, sad. So happy, sad, sappy. Uh, there are some. There's some great character building and relationships and emotion built into this. And I, I, it's it's pretty fascinating because a lot of the post-apocalypse genre is like the lone survivor who needs to regain his humanity. And here we are with this troupe that is that is their entire purpose is to bring humanity back to not just themselves but the world. And they do it so well. But it took 20 years to get there. And the story takes place over the course of multiple decades, mostly just before the pandemic hits and during the early days of the pandemic, going through a couple years and then skipping forward to 20 years later. Uh, pretty fascinating. This was originally a novel, I've kind of mentioned that, uh, by the Canadian writer. Her name is Emily St. John Mandel. It was published in 2014, long before coronavirus was on our radar. And pretty interesting because it was then picked up by HBO as a live action adaptation in October 2019, which means one, way before COVID, HBO picked this up. And two, we were in the midst of the pandemic as it was being shot, which I'm sure provided a lot of inspiration for the actors and directors, which there were, you know, there's just like TV, there's several different directors usually for different episodes. Usually someone is like the showrunner and directs a few of the episodes and then someone else fills in and does the others. And this is no different. Um, that's pretty much how this one went. Pretty fascinating. I, I ended up looking this up because I was like, well, what was the conditions for them? And in January of 2020, when we were first hearing the first rumors of, you know, there's something going on in China, we don't know what it is. And then if I remember right, that's when Italy was first getting hit and we were like, oh shoot, it's coming. And Italy was sending out warnings like, this is what it's going to be like, guys. And we're all like, nah, it's never going to be like that here. And then boom, a few weeks later. Anyway, they had started shooting and got through episode one and episode three, which 
again, if I remember right, these are both kind of the right when the pandemic was hitting. So they, I think they were following the same characters for that. Uh, but they were supposed to go on a hiatus about a month long or two months long or something like that when the pandemic was really picking up. And so they were in their break and that break ended up turning into almost a year which sounds about right. So um, they did get kind of stopped, but luckily they had gotten both of these episodes in the can and they were so beautiful at that point that they, of course, finished up. And this show came out um, just a few, a couple months ago, it got released and it was released weekly on HBO Max. Pretty interesting that it was timed with the Omicron coming out, which Omicron, uh, even though it was a much lighter thing, the spread was so fast that it was, it's been very reminiscent of those early days where, you know, people didn't really know what was happening. Each time a new variant comes out, we don't know what it's going to be like. Is it going to be better? Is it going to be worse? Will it spread faster or slower? Will it, will it have um, higher hospitalizations? Will it, will the vaccines that everyone's been taking, will they be uh, useful? Will they still have any efficacy? as the scientists call it. Uh, and so each time is, is full of questions. And it's really interesting that, that this show timed out with that because I think that helped kind of bring it to the forefront. I think it's really fascinating how whatever we're going through in the world, whether it's, you know, the Cold War back in the, in the 80s or uh, different pandemics or environmentalism during the 90s, uh, that tends to be what our post-apocalypse stories are about. Like, let's take what's going on today, create the worst case scenario, and then see what it would be like for people to survive through it or after it. Waterworld was kind of the peak of the science saying the ocean levels are rising because of global warming. And of course, they took it into a non-realistic fulfillment because even if all the ice melted on the earth today, it still would not cover up all the land. So they kind of took it to an extreme. And that's what it's all about, right? We take it to the extreme. So if a pandemic has like a few percentage points of a uh, death factor, we flip that just like we did for Station Eleven. So with coronavirus our survival rate was 99% plus, give or take. Uh, it's been higher or lower, and you know different countries around the world have different survival rates. People's DNA make a big difference. You know, It seems to uh, attack certain types of people more than others. Um, obesity rates have been big on this one, and um, obviously health conditions, that kind of thing. So what am I trying to say? So, oh, Station Eleven flips it on its head, and this is a 99% death rate plus. Uh, I think I saw somewhere it was 99% or 99.9%. So we're talking a 1 in 100 or a 1 in 1,000 survival rate for the Georgia flu, which is the disease in Station Eleven that wipes out everybody. So this story was actually planned by writer Emily St. John Mandel. And the showrunner, uh, his name is Patrick Somerville. They had met on a writing tour for like a, when, you know, they both went to a book launch type of thing. Uh, these are the parties where they read some of the book and everyone has some wine and there's some cheese and that kind of thing. They met and uh, somehow hit it off. And they were talking about things and Patrick wanted to be a screenwriter. And Emily, was, uh, she, she has no idea. Well, basically she said she doesn't know how to write a script. And so it was almost like pre-planned that her next book he would adapt to a TV series, which is fascinating. I think that's so cool. And also, I haven't read the book yet, but I do know that it has mostly the same cast of characters 
and a lot of the story backbone, the same story backbone, but it does adapt and change a lot of the plot lines and like characterizations, like a little bit behind the characters. Um, the biggest being to the major protagonist in the story who we know as as the prophet, and we get his name later, no spoilers. But I'm not going to talk about too much of the differences there, because uh, I, I don't want to spoil the book also. So we're just going to leave it at that. There there are some differences. I think they're really fascinating. I love what the TV show did to kind of keep things joyful, in a way. And I think it's pretty fascinating. But um, for the rest of today, we're going to solely talk about the HBO series, because that's what I've seen. I haven't read the book. Anyway, moving on. So the HBO series features 10 episodes covering multiple time periods of all the main characters' lives. Beginning as the first flu is sweeping around the globe and covering until about 20 years later. The time jumps are a little confusing at first, but they continually pay off throughout the series. And this is another thing I was looking up because, yeah, I think sometimes this like scattered time travel storytelling can be a gimmick. And it can make a boring story more exciting because, you know, sometimes linear stories uh, are a little too linear. But yeah, I think in a lot of cases, time travel, not time travel, but like time travel in the storytelling uh, can just be something to spice up a story that kind of is a little more lackluster. That is not true of stories that are meant to be told that way. If that is the best way to tell the story, then... I think it really helps work, and and the payoff in this one uh, is is truly great. I think the time travel adds to the story. I think they made the right choice there. Could it have been told linear, linearly? Probably, but I don't think it would have had the same impact. This is a, it's a really special piece. Um, the characters' lives are all intertwined, and the story is told in a way that allows the viewer to be constantly discovering all the nuances of their relationships. And I said a few episodes ago that when I was starting the series, I had been I had gotten through about episode four, that it felt really important, like the show was going to have a greater meaning to it. And now that I've seen the whole season and it's all released, I'm going to stand by that. The story, at least the TV adaptation, feels really well thought out, wonderfully executed. You really get to know these characters and feel for them. And unlike so many post-apocalypse stories, you feel the consequence of every move these characters make. You feel the worry, you feel the depression and the loss and the moments that are worth celebrating in their lives. Also, I've got no problem admitting that I was straight up bawling during the last couple episodes as all the final pieces were put in place. And uh, I promise the payoff in this is worth it. And um, it all ended up being a true catharsis for the real world pandemic that we're going through and just how our lives are shook and how important relationships are and a face-to-face time. Uh, I think we've all had those moments where things were just a little different, whether we were staying in our homes or, you know, putting on masks where we can't see people's facial expressions and smiles and that kind of thing. So I think that there's a little bit of healing in this story, which is really fascinating because it wasn't written for this. It was just written in 2014. And I mean, in 2014, we had, we had an idea of what a pandemic is. You can look back to the Spanish flu of the early 1900s and know what, what it was probably like. We can look at like swine flu and bird flu that have had their, their time in the spotlight in the last couple decades. So, I don't know. Oh, and then of course, like AIDS of the 80s and just the fear and, 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 and information and misinformation that all comes out. Pretty fascinating. 
but yeah, I, I do find that this show is going to remain important. It just, it's so well thought out and so well written. And of course, this adaptation is absolutely beautiful. If you look at the cinematography, the costuming, the acting, the music, all across the board, um, it's just really special. And one of the major set pieces that comes into play is actually an airport that was abandoned. And they made it look fresh and new again. And then made it look post-apocalyptic, which that is pretty fascinating. I would love to just watch how they took this abandoned airport, which they said had like boards on the windows. And of course it was dusty and probably didn't have much furniture and, and glass left, that kind of thing. And they dressed it up like it was a functioning airport. And then for the 20 years later, they created a post-apocalyptic village in the airport, which it's really fascinating. Definitely take special note of that because they were working on a limited budget and, well, it's HBO. The, pro the budget was probably fine, but it got stressed a little bit because, again, middle of a pandemic, we all know that the supply chain had, had some issues. It was tough getting any kind of supplies for a little while and the prices skyrocketed. So... T take special note because that's something that they were worried about is like if the camera turned the wrong way in the airport it might show where things weren't done and um the fact is they ended up doing just fine i think but uh yeah so that's about it some themes that came up obviously shakespeare plays have lots of themes on their own and a lot of that comes into play and a lot of that kind of cross references with what they're going on at the time um hamlet is really interesting. I Again, I'm not going to spoil it, but the ties to Hamlet and what happened in the show are made very powerful and it's just a really special thing. Um, of course, just like any post-apocalypse story, the ideas of before and after pop up. There's like selfishness versus altruism uh, because while people are dying, they basically have to make some, some last choices and sometimes it's sacrifice and sometimes it's painful but yeah really interesting stuff about you know if if you knew you had a day or two to live you know what how would you spend that last time and that kind of stuff definitely comes up there's some some themes of religion in here too which i think is always kind of special in post apocalypse stories a lot of time we're talking about how religion may have helped cause a post apocalypse or an apocalypse. Sometimes it's about control. Sometimes it's about uh, uh, brainwashing, that kind of thing. And then in like deep post-apocalypse stories, we see different religions, different cults pop up. Um, and sometimes they are like misinterpretations of current religion and that kind of thing. But um, it is really interesting how, you know, if, if organized religion were to die today, we would probably still have something like it pop up in the future based on, you know, one person's beliefs and how many people would get on that train. So uh, that's Station Eleven, guys. I would highly encourage you to check it out. Again, it's on HBO Max. It's all ready now, so you can binge it. I had to watch it over several weeks and enjoyed the hell out of it. And what's really interesting is sometimes something's one long movie, right? Uh, uh, Bank Heist was just kind of one long movie, but this one, they really soaked up the idea of the episode. Uh, each one is a chapter, and the episodes kind of, they jump around time to time. Sometimes they do some time travel within an episode, but each episode kind of stands on its own. We focus in on, on one character or a pair of characters in one location at one time, uh, and we're just kind of telling that story. 
in it, which in that case, a couple of the episodes jump and you, you leave the story you thought you were following and start following a different one. Uh, so this is a show that you can definitely watch one episode at a time and be completely fulfilled, or you can binge it. It's completely up to you. I binged the last five in a day. So that's like five hours. That was last week. It, it was a good day. It was also cold here. So I was very happy. And I was by myself. Sometimes I get the house to myself. And it's great. Because then I can watch what I want to watch. It's almost always a post-apocalypse show or a movie that I might not be able to watch when other people are around. All right. Anyway, I believe the next time you hear from me, it's going to be our first episode of Legends of Wasteland City. And I'm super excited. I have gotten back the first voiceovers for some of the characters. My wonderful friends, Jay and Megan, are going to be voicing Doc Schofield and Digits again in the first episode of a... Six or a six episode epic story from the Schofield Drifters. And I'm going to tell you more about that to introduce the next episode because it's going to be one of the shorter ones. Uh, But I'm super excited. I'm working really hard on it and um, I can't wait. This may, I may do more Legends of Wasteland City than reviews like today. I may concentrate more and more in that direction. I just think it's going to be so wonderful, but who knows? I don't know. Well, we're going to figure things out, but you guys know me. I just kind of do whatever I'm feeling and um, put it out there. And if you guys are enjoying it, great. And if you're not, well, there's probably other stuff you can listen to. I mean, you haven't made it through this far through the episode unless you're having a good time. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm super excited. It's going to be great. And the first episode will probably be the next thing. It might be next week. It might be in a couple weeks. I'm going to Just make sure it's really polished and sounding really great for you guys. So thank you all for listening so, so, so much. Um, Make sure that you're subscribed if you're not yet and leave a comment or a like wherever you're listening. And don't forget about the Patreon. Really helps to support all this material. And hopefully I can bring it up to the point where I can uh, pay my voiceover actors because they are professionals and they are so far doing me a solid and uh, I really hope that um, I can keep them and part of that is going to be be able to uh, pay them for their time because I know it's not easy and they have uh, huge investments of not just time but also the gear in their place which outmatches my gear by a long shot since I'm still kind of new to this whole sound only thing. Consider joining the Patreon. I really appreciate, you know, even if you only give a dollar per episode or whatever, it is so greatly appreciated and so inspiring. And of course, I've got the store up. You can always buy some post-apocalypse, some, ha, I forgot my own name, some Apocalypse Post merch. We've got stickers and postcards and posters. And of course, we've got the Wasteland City 2021 event map still up there. I'm keeping the sale going for another week, guys, because it seems to be popular at the new price point of $16 plus shipping and handling. But yeah, if you are at Wasteland Weekend 2021 and you don't have this map yet, you need to have it. Uh, Also, if you don't have space on your wall for a giant print, because it is huge and you can walk up to it and see all the little details, including people's heads. I mean, I would say faces, but it's just the top of their heads. And a bunch of the vehicles and camps. Uh, If you don't have room on your wall, there is a digital only. It's eight bucks. And you can have this digital. I'll send it out to you. It's a PDF. It is ginormous. Like it takes, takes a little while to load up on my computer. And I've got this ridiculous editing computer. But then once you have it loaded up, you can zoom in all the way so that like, 
you know, even the Dukes of the Nuke camp takes up more than a page when you're all the way zoomed in, which is pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, definitely consider buying some merch, joining the Patreon, and uh, we'll keep this show going for you guys. And don't forget, Neotropolis is coming up in a couple months. I'm trying to make it work. Uh, I'm hoping to be there and be able to enjoy this whole new event put on by the Wasteland Weekend crew. And of course, you know, winter, is, we're, we're pretty much in the middle. We got another, you know, six weeks or so, depending on what um, what that groundhog sees in a couple couple days. Is it a couple days? I don't even know. It's the end of January, and uh, it's almost Groundhog Day, and then we'll find out what winter's doing. But yeah, it's almost springtime, and that means it's almost festival season, guys. There's several festivals scheduled for this coming spring. Uranium Springs is going to be back. Well, Detonation at Uranium Springs is going to be back. Uh, I believe we have an Aftermath coming up. I believe we have a Junkyard coming up. Junkyard? No, it's at the Junkyard. Aftermath coming. Yeah. Atomic Falls is coming up in the spring. And I believe that the summer event, um, Apox East, they have a springtime event coming up as well. Kind of a brand new thing. It may just be, I think it's just a club night, but lots of stuff coming up, guys. Everyone's kind of ready to get back to partying. And now that everyone's vaccinated and ready to go, uh, we can get back to it. So I'm going to get out of here, guys. But thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends. But if you hated it, send it to your enemies with a landmine-strapped child cultist who just wants a hug. I'll see you next time, survivors. Till then, stay alive. Ending.